is the VIP Late Lunch with Lee Sterry on the Voice of Niagara, News Talk 610 CKTV. Good afternoon. Not an absolutely horrible day in the neighborhood, but a little bit more like October. Hope you're having a good Thursday. October the 12th, 2 out 17. Thursdays at 1 on the VIP Late Lunch. That means legal matters with Chris Richard of Graves and Richard, Niagara's largest personal injury law firm. Chris, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, Last week, uh, we were a little bit uh, lighthearted and kept it easy going. Today, we're going to take a bit more of a serious look at a few things. What are we doing this afternoon? Yeah, so when we do these shows, try to kind of have a mix. Sometimes we'll do some things that are a little more fun and sometimes uh, try to tackle some serious issues. And I think today is certainly uh, something that goes in the serious issue. And that's insurance, auto insurance, specifically in the province of Ontario. And we, we've talked about this kind of periodically since we started the show. A, from a number of different angles. And uh, we did a show back in the spring uh, dealing with the government's latest attempt to analyze auto insurance. And they had hired the services of David Marshall, who had previously been in the uh, WSIB or the Workers' Right, Safety I remember that show, yeah. And uh, he came out with a report uh, analyzing the car insurance and, and basically uh, saying that we're spending far too much and getting far too little uh, mm-hmm. for car insurance in the province of Ontario. And he does a comparison to other provinces in Canada and basically determines that our system seems to be the worst of all worlds. Uh, so... yeah. I wanted to kind of take tackle that issue a little bit again today, and in the context of uh, the Ontario Trial Lawyers Association has come out with their response to uh, Mr. Marshall's report. And you're a member of that group. I am a member of that group. So that group is about, it comprises about 1,500 lawyers in the province of Ontario, and all of those lawyers act for injured victims in car accidents. Okay. Uh, actually, to be a member, you can't have more than 5% of your practice be be anything other than gotcha. uh, than working for uh, people injured in accidents. So, uh, so a fairly specialized group. And like any group, there's a broad range of opinions, and I don't necessarily agree with, with everything uh, that's been proposed, as I'm sure uh, if I talk to colleagues, they wouldn't necessarily agree with me. Um, but... I like the organization, and I and I I like their response in the sense that who is really in this whole conversation looking out for the people that are ultimately going to use the product? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Your you know, clients. Yeah. the The insurance industry and the insurance lobby is quite well funded and quite powerful. Uh, they're going to be able to look out for their own interests. Uh, we have some consumers' rights groups, uh, which largely focus, I think, on premiums, and they do look at what value you're getting for the premiums, but ultimately, they want those premiums lower. That's mm-hmm. their uh, their response. But there, there really isn't any, any effective voice for the people that either have been using these benefits or are going to use them in the future, right. other than the trial lawyers. So uh, sometimes uh, they can be tr- attempted to be painted as greedy and self-serving, but but it's really there's no other effective voice i think that that are saying here's what we're going to see when someone actually has to access these benefits yeah like there's no victims association that they can go to that's right yeah that's right so uh so therefore i think what the ontario trial lawyers association has to say is important and and i wanted to spend today talking about some of that and, cool. and giving you some of my thoughts all right so 
Uh, they came out uh, with their response September 15th of 2017. Uh, it's contained on the Ontario Trialers Association website, so if anybody's interested and wants to, it's only about 17 pages, so it's not, uh, <laughs> that includes graphs, so it's not, uh, it's not too long. Uh, so I would direct anyone there and they can uh, take a look uh, at the full report. I want to just highlight some of the, the recommendations. So one of the things that OTLA has said that we need to start doing when we're analyzing car insurance is not only to look at the cost side of the equation, so the cost of claims, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what insurers like to focus on, but we also need to focus on the profit side of the equation. That is... For the insurance companies. Yeah, that is how much money is the insurance company making as profit. Believe it or not, as the public, we don't get that information. We don't know. I've never seen it. It's not available. Uh, And the publicly available information when it comes to profit for insurance companies is not provided in a way that we can do anything with it. So uh, if we take, I don't really want to name any particular company, but you take your own insurer, whoever that happens to be, uh, we can find publicly uh, available information for them, but it's going to contain uh, their uh, profit, their uh, expenses, their balance sheets, for all of their lines of insurance across the entire country. Oh, so you can't you can't itemize it down to automobile. Right. Right. Not only can you not itemize it down to automobile, but you can't itemize it down to automobile in Ontario. Oh, I see. So we're talking uh, like global numbers. Oh, national numbers, yeah, anyways. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's sort of a global calculation, yeah. That's right. So, I mean, we're having this debate, and the government can only set policy for auto insurance in Ontario. And yet the public can't really engage and participate in that conversation because we don't know the numbers, and we're not entitled to know the numbers. <laughs> so um, so Otla has said, if we're going to have an open and honest conversation about car insurance and about what we want to do, we want to know the numbers. Right. Tell us how much insurance companies are expecting to make for profit. The government has kind of set a reasonableness standard of about 5% return on investment for the insurance companies. Outla did their own financial analysis and uh, a couple of years back, and they found that they think the insurance companies are making closer to 11% profit rather than 5%. But the thing is, from publicly available information, we just don't know. So, um, But what we do know, and the publicly informa- available information, is what are the expenses? What are, what's the cost of claims? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's what the focus is always on, is how do we reduce that number? But how is it? Uh, I mean, I can go through the list. It's, I did actually before the air today of all of the benefits that have been taken away from consumers in Ontario since 2010. Every year, there's another reduction in benefits. Uh, just most recently, uh, they reduced the amount of medical and rehabilitation benefits from 100000 down to 50000 and the period in which you have to spend that from 10 years to 5 years. Gee. Right? We're only in year two of that, so we haven't even, those savings haven't even really got into the system yet. Yeah. Um, so we keep getting these benefits taken away, and insurers are going to the government and saying, we simply can't afford to reduce rates. How is that possible? <laughs> it's simply not. Yeah, it defies logic. It defies logic when every year we're, we're getting uh, more and more things taken away. 
one of the other criticisms of Outlaw, which I happen to agree with, is um, why are we doing this report now? Uh, in 2015 and 2016, major changes came in, like what I just said. Those changes haven't impacted in the system yet. We don't know how much money that's going to save insurers because it's just working its way through. In June of 2017, uh, we just got to the point where every consumer in the province is now on the same system again. Right, yeah. Uh, It took us a year to kind of filter those through. So it's accidents starting, for example, in June of 2017 forward that we know we're all into the new system. We're not going to know if it's saved insurers money until we're in years six and seven once the availability of benefits starts to cease under the new system. Right. So why would we try to reconstruct a system in the middle of these changes? Maybe what they just did was enough. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Yeah. Right? Obviously a rhetorical question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the government implemented these changes with the thought to reduce the expenses. And now we're doing this report, which is relying on old data and old expenses to try and reform it. And it may simply not be necessary. So uh, so kind of a combination of two points there. But one, shouldn't we know as consumers how much profit the insurance company is are making? Uh, and shouldn't we be able to then determine whether that's reasonable? Well, again, you would think that there would be some sort of criteria or cap or margin or something that, that they would be held to. Absolutely. Yeah. If rates are going up, that shouldn't be going into the pockets of insurance executives and, and shareholders of insurance companies. We're going to pick it up there uh, after the break. One fourteen. this is Legal Matters. Chris Richard, our guest of Graves and Richard. It's gravesandrichard.com if you want to find them and these shows, by the way. Or you can find us at 610cktv.com. We podcast all of these shows. So uh, you can come back and uh, listen again. What an opportunity. Chris Richard of Graves and Richard. We're talking about, again, the auto insurance industry and an update on uh, what's going on because it it is an ongoing conversation in spite of the fact that, as we've already established, we don't necessarily have all of the ledger information on, on the income side, but, uh, but the conversation is continuing, uh, as frustrating as it might be. Yeah, we're fully expecting the government to act on some of David. Marshall's recommendations, and you know, your guess is as good as mine as to what they're ultimately yeah. going to do. I just know that it seems like since 2010, every year or two, we're getting substantive changes to our, our policy. And I got to tell you, we got to work pretty hard to keep up in my office with all the changes. And if you have to work hard, imagine how we, uh, the, the user, has I, to do it. I don't think right now at least people that don't listen to our show, have any idea what's contained in the automobile policy right now. I, I, I don't doubt that for a minute. Yeah. So, so where are we going now? Yeah, let's talk about a, a couple other criticisms of the um, current re- regime or, or of the proposals by uh, David Marshall. There's actually agreement between the Ontario Trial Law Association and uh, David Marshall that we've created a system right now that is all about conflict. And when you create a system that's all about conflict, you create a system that's expensive, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, and they take slightly different approaches as to how that might be resolved. Uh, David Marshall wants it, what he calls a programs of care model. And basically, it's taking the WSIB system and 
sticking it in the auto insurance. Most people I know that have had involvement with the WSIB system don't like it. <laughs> it uh, he calls it a successful system. I'm not sure that people that are actually accessing the system find it successful. And just in case people are, uh, WSIB stands for? Uh, Workplace Safety Insurance Board. Okay. Uh, workers' Compensation, I guess yeah, people yeah, might, yeah. Uh, might know it as. So uh, basically what that is, it says if you're diagnosed with this injury, then you get this treatment. Mm-hmm. So it's a one-size-fits-all. It's not individualized. And you know, a lot of healthcare practitioners have problems with that, right? Because people respond to treatment differently, uh, different treatment modalities, some will help someone. Sure. Some, a different person may need... Well, a similar symptoms, but different route. That's right. Yeah. So, um, OATLA uh, isn't in favor of the one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, they prefer to have treating practitioners uh, determine what the individual needs, someone that's actually following them, and mm-hmm. treatment can then be tailored to the individual. Uh, in terms of cost to the system... The system of fighting is extremely expensive. Uh, According to David Marshall's report, and we mentioned this last time we talked about it, uh, insurers on average spend $9,000 on medical examinations during the context of a claim. That's $9,000 paid to doctors Mm -hmm. to determine whether treatment is reasonable and necessary. And most times they determine it's not. So that's uh, $9,000 to say no to treatment. (laughs) Okay. 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 I think everybody agrees that that money is inefficient and a waste, right? Any of those kind of transactional costs that aren't actually making anybody better right? Uh, is simply an inflationary... Just feeding the system. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's costing all consumers money. So anything that could get rid of that would be effective. Uh, David Marshall has suggested, kind of going back to the future... Uh, in all honesty, and creating these independent examination centers where there would be a you know a doctor or a team appointed, mm-hmm. they would analyze the patient, and whatever they say is final. You can't dispute it. And on the surface, that may sound reasonable, but we did that. We actually had that system in place uh, up until the early 2000s. It was called designated assessment centers. And what we found, uh, as, as trial lawyers, people that do this, is... They were incredibly biased towards insurers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we actually had stats as to you know how many denials they would uphold versus how many they would overturn, and it kind of made sense, right? People that did that assessment work not only were they doing those assessments for insurers, they were doing other assessments in terms of tort work, and they were ultimately being paid by the insurance companies, right? The person sure. has to attend, yeah. but the check is being paid by the insurance company. So uh, we found that it simply didn't work. They were biased. And the other thing is, doctors disagree, right? We've all heard the uh, the phrase, I want to get a second opinion. Well, sure, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, we're all pretty common with that. So why would I want to give one doctor the authority to determine whether a particular treatment is reasonable or necessary when if I asked a panel of doctors, there's going to be disagreement. A panel of differences. That's right. Yeah. So it's uh, it's no guarantee of fairness to... Uh, to the injured person. It depends on the particular doctor who's doing the assessment. Right. So trial lawyers don't think that that is the appropriate approach. We're just, we tried it. It didn't work. And the government scrapped that um, in the early 2000s. So uh, interestingly, uh, what the Ontario Trial Lawyers Association has proposed is 
almost identical to what I proposed last time we had uh, we talked about Mr. Marshall's report, and they used the example of uh, employer sponsored benefits. Mm-hmm. So uh, many people, if you have benefits at work, uh, you'll have coverage for medication. Well, how often have you had to haggle or hire a lawyer? to deal with whether a medication is paid for or not. Never, right? No, no. no one's called me about one Not of those that things. I recall. Uh, you get basic coverage for physiotherapy, for chiropractic care, for massage therapy. How many people have had to hire a lawyer to deal with their employer benefits? Mm, not many. None. I, I've never had a call about yeah. those. Um, and that's because limits are set as to what you're entitled to get, and it's left to the person and their care providers in order to spend that money. Mm-hmm. So... What Oatler recommends, and, and I wholeheartedly agree, is if you want to avoid disputes, that's the system you go to. So you say, and I don't know what the amounts are, I, that's a debate we're going to have to have, but you say for types of treatment like chiropractic, physiotherapy, massage, you've got X amount of dollars available for coverage over, over X, X amount, amount of, of time. years. Yeah. And let the people uh, and their care providers determine how that money is spent. Uh, the insurer knows what their exposure is going to be, as long as uh, the family doctor is signing off on that or a medical practitioner is signing off on it, mm-hmm. that's the system we have now. You get a, uh, you get a referral from uh, your doctor for physiotherapy, you provide that referral to the insurer, and the benefits are paid. And then those $9,000 that they're spending on each and every claim to get medical assessments, those costs go out of the system. Uh, so, Makes sense. Uh, so... I, in terms of funding that model, I I think that, uh, and then people won't need lawyers uh, for those types of expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the other proposals is that uh, people not be able to enter into lump sum settlements uh, for medical expenses. That was one of Marshall's proposals, and. It's interesting. I see the the benefit of that. They want it to be about care and people getting what they need, as opposed to uh, having to it be about money and cash. Yeah, and I understand that. And to to use the the comparison to the employer sponsored benefits, nobody goes to their insurer, Sun Life, or, or whoever your insurer is, and says, "Well, this year I only used a hundred dollars in in my physiotherapy expenses, so I'd like you to pay me the other four hundred. Right, those conversations don't have uh, happen yeah, either. You're right. So, but sometimes those are the conversations that happen in a uh, in the accident benefit system. And what happens is because we have so much conflict in that system, and it's all about who's right and who's wrong, and whether someone actually needs a treatment or doesn't need the treatment. That I often have my clients say, I want to be done with the insurance company. I don't want to go and ask for their permission. I don't want to go to more medical assessments. Can we just get a sum of money that I can then take and use? to pay myself yeah, i can i can see that even if it's less than maybe i'm entitled to can i just get that yeah that i just tired of, tired of going through the hoops yeah yeah so i i'm kind of torn on that recommendation if we take all the conflict out of the system and we make it more like the employer sponsored benefits uh then i think i might be in favor of that but if we're going to keep the conflict in the system then you need a mechanism for the insured person and the insurer to divorce. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which is essentially what a lump sum settlement is about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
A lot of ground. We could do another couple of shows probably on this, but uh, what's the next most important point before we have to sign you off here? Yeah, like you say, there is so much. One of the things that uh, uh, our listeners may not know about, if if I can deal with it just quickly, is catastrophic impairment. So we've dealt with this a few times. These are the the most serious types of injuries. And you have to meet a really complex uh, definition uh, in order to get there. I was actually just talking to an occupational therapist last week, and we were talking about how we're just kind of scratching the surface on the new definition. It's only been in place a little over a year, and we're just still starting to litigate it and trying to find the ways to find our clients catastrophically impaired. The point I want to make to our listeners is because of the system that we've created and the complexity, it costs an insured person, which is means funded largely through their lawyers, mm-hmm. up to $25,000 to get the appropriate paperwork and the appropriate reports together in order to be found catastrophically impaired. That's ridiculous, right? I mean, uh, we have these debates in the office all the time where we say, okay, I've gathered this medical information. We think there's a chance this person is going to be catastrophically impaired. And then we have to foot the bill. Yeah. Uh, of usually it's around twenty five thousand dollars in order to get the appropriate evidence for the insurer, so that our client would have an opportunity to be declared catastrophically impaired. Uh, you want to talk about cost to the system? There's a cost, and then once I spend that money and I provide that to the insurer, what do you think they do? They go hire their own doctors and incur their own expense in order to see if they agree with what uh, the doctors that we retain said. Unfortunately, sorry. Yeah, so you end up with, you know, almost $50,000 in expenses. Wow. Uh, Okay, see Richard at gravesandrichard.com if you want to reach uh, Chris directly. Thanks, Chris.